as, as Andy mentioned, we're going we're gonna to continue, uh, continue our study through, uh, through 1 Peter and, uh, and looking at the book of, uh, of 1 Peter. So uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And um, if someone gets that page number, feel free to shout it out for us. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1217, all right, page 1217, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1. And just, uh, just, just as, a, as, as a reminder, um, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's read it first, and then, and then I'll remind us. So uh, we're in 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 6. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 6. And this is uh, Peter writing to... Christians who are scattered because they're being uh, persecuted uh, by the Roman Empire. This is what he writes, beginning in verse 1. He says, in all of this, uh, you greatly rejoice. So we'll need to stop and say, what is this? Well, if you were with us last week, that's what Dan led us through. That would be verses 1 through 5, where he just kind of opens with a song, just praising Jesus and thanking Jesus for salvation and for heaven. All right, so that's what he's referring to. So he says, in all this salvation, heaven, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, and even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray together. Now, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is true. We thank you, uh, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit has written this to the church, which we are a part of. Uh, and now, in these next few moments, as we study your word, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds. Uh, that we can understand your word. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be changed by your word. We pray that you would speak to us, your people, uh, for your glory, Jesus, and for our good, uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to spend... Looks like I'm missing a slide. Oh, must be next. Um, So, no worries. I mentioned this uh, two weeks ago when, uh, when we started. And that is, um, uh, to understand uh, the letter of 1 Peter, we have to know the story 
of this guy here. He is absolutely critical to us understanding the context of what's happening. And if you'll remember, uh, this is Nero. And Nero was the fifth emperor of Rome. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to go all into it, but we spent, we spent a good bit of time understanding who Nero was. Uh, how it relates primarily to believers was that Nero, uh, the fifth emperor, had a desire to, to build himself a palace in the center of Rome. The problem was there, there was no land available And so historians now know and tell us that Nero came up with a plan, and that was to burn Rome to the ground. And if he were to burn the city to the ground, then he could rebuild the city for his own glory and in his own image. And so July the 19th, 64 AD, uh, a fire starts in Rome, uh, quickly spreads, and all total, the fire burns for about nine days. And when the fire is finally extinguished, two-thirds of the city of Rome is ash, is burned to the ground. Uh, Now, Nero uh, has solved his first problem. His first problem was, how do I make room to build in Rome? That problem is sorted. Uh, There was a second problem that troubled Nero, and that was this, this group of Jews who believed that a carpenter was God. And that this carpenter had died and come back to life. And uh, they, they had started calling them Christians, which means little Christ. Some referred to them as the way. Um, but everyone was offended by them. The Romans were offended by this new group of, of Jews uh, because they would not worship the Roman gods. Uh, the Jews were offended by them because they taught that the Messiah had come. <clears throat> And so Nero sees an opportunity to get rid of this new religious group called Christians. And so Nero then blames the fire of Rome on Christians. And everyone jumps on this. And so the Christians are blamed for setting the fire. And as a result, the persecution of Christians happens quickly and spreads rapidly. And it leaves the confounds of Rome and begins to move all the way up into modern-day Turkey, which is where these Christians are. So that's how far it spread. When you get home, look at a map. I mean, that that is no short distance from Rome all the way to modern-day northern Turkey. And that's how quickly this persecution is spread. And so horrible things are being done. Um, and we shared some of those where, uh, where the Romans would take uh, animal skins And they would wrap Christians in the animal skins, and then they would set the Christians loose, and then they would set packs of dogs to go and hunt them and attack them and kill them. Uh, We know, of course, that uh, they were taken to the Colosseum where they were eaten and destroyed by lions. Uh, Nero, uh, after he builds his new palace, builds this lavish garden. And the way he lights his garden at night is he takes Christians, impels them on stakes, dips them in tar, and sets them on fire. And that is how he lights his gardens in the evening. Um, that's, that's gruesome, grim stuff. But we have to understand that's the context. And so uh, these men and women who love Jesus, this is what's happening to them uh, because of Nero. And so Peter is writing to them in this context. And so what we're going to spend just a few moments looking at in chapter 1 is, um, what is the, what's God's purpose in pain? 
How, how are these believers to find meaning in suffering? And you and I live in a world where all we have to do is open a newspaper, go to a website, or turn on the TV, and suffering is all around us. And, and as men and women who love and follow Jesus, how do we make sense of suffering that comes particularly into the life of a believer? And so we're just going to see three simple truths uh, that God wants us to see here in 1 Peter about how you and I can find um, some sense of uh, meaning in suffering. All right, so uh, here's what we're going to find. All this is a bit of a downer, but, but there's good news and we'll all feel better by the end, all right? Hopefully. So uh, here we are. Uh, number one, we see this. That God allows trials in my life so that I might know the genuineness of my faith. God allows trials in my life so that I might know the genuineness of my faith. Um, and so, uh, look back at your Bible, and uh, look what he says there, beginning in verse 6. He says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. Now, uh, this, this is an important thing to note. That trials, trials uh, come from many locations. Right? Trials come from many locations. But this is key. Don't miss this. All trials are rooted in sin. All trials are rooted in brokenness. The Bible says none are righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, uh, if you've ever thought something about someone that you knew was wrong, raise your hand. Right? If you've ever said something about someone that you knew was wrong, raise your hand. If 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 you've ever done something that you knew probably shouldn't have done, raise your hand. What if you didn't do something that you know you probably should have done, raise your hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, so raise your hand now. Amen. Right? Okay, so here's my point. All of us in here are not perfect. All right? So all trials come from brokenness. So either me being affected by the brokenness of someone else or me being affected by my own brokenness. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. If, if, I, uh, if when we're done here, I go over to the co-op and I decide to steal some things and I steal some things and I get caught and I end up going to jail, I'm now going through a well, literally a trial, but a trial, and I'm going to suffer because of whose sin? Mine, right? I made that bad choice. No one made me make that choice. I decided to steal, right? Now, that, that sounds a bit, that's, that, that's a bit far, so I'm going to use something that might be a bit more real. Can I use you, Andy? Is that all right? All right. So let's say that Andy and I, uh, we go to lunch this afternoon. Andy's struggling with something, and he shares that with me. Nandy says, please, please don't tell anyone about this, but I would just, could we, could we pray together? And I just need someone to talk to. And so he, he kind of shares some things with me about some struggles. I go uh, home and decide to put that on Facebook. This stuff happens all the time, right? And so I break his confidence. He has confided in me, and I now go and, uh, and tell other people. 
But I had given my word that I wouldn't do that. Now, is that gonna, that's going to get back to Andy. How's that going to impact our friendship? Yeah, there, there's going to be a break in our relationship. Now, I, I know he's going to forgive me eventually and all those things, but it's, it's, going to, it's going to create a break in our fellowship. Not our relationship, but our fellowship, right? Now, that's, that's a more real example, but here's what I did. I did that to myself, right? And so now I've, I've hurt someone. I've maybe lost the trust of someone because of my brokenness. I chose to do that. Andy is suffering because of my sin. I'm suffering because of my sin. Is, is, that, is, that, is that an okay example? So my sin has caused me to suffer, but my sin has caused him to suffer. Nero's sin is, is, is causing these folks to suffer. Now, this is, this is important. Stay with me, okay? This is why it's important. In 1 Peter, we're not talking about them suffering for their sin. We're talking about them suffering because of what someone is doing to them. Does that make sense? And so sometimes I can have a pity party when I'm going through a hard time, but actually I brought the hard time on myself, right? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here, and Andy said it uh, earlier with the kids, we're talking about folks who are going through hardship because of their love for Jesus. And that's important. That's the specific context. These people are suffering because they love Jesus and they're standing for him, right? Uh, historians tell us uh, that, that in most instances, particularly in the Colosseum, Christians were always given an opportunity to deny Christ. Because if they denied Christ, it was then an opportunity to essentially show that Christianity wasn't genuine, that these folks really don't believe it. And, and so these folks are choosing to stand boldly for Jesus, and this is what happens. So when we say God allows trials in my life, I'm not talking about a trial that I bring upon myself. I'm talking about the trials that we face for loving and serving Jesus. And in the midst of those, I can know the genuineness of my faith. He says this in verse 7. He says, these have come, so these being the trials, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, He uses this word genuineness. And he says, trials come, suffering comes, so that we might know the genuineness of our faith. It means to be tested by trial and found authentic. To be tested by trial and found authentic. Um, It's a really interesting word. Remember, this originally would have been written in Greek. We're reading an English translation. And the Greek word here is doikomon. And doikomon uh, has to do with coins. Now, we probably don't think about it, but paper money has not been around very long. In, In the big scheme of humanity, paper money is a fairly recent thing. Um, And so coins have been around, however, for thousands of years. And so coins were the the currency of the Roman Empire. We still have Roman coins. You can see them in the British Museum, right? Because you guys took most of them. And so, if you've ever been, there's nothing British in the British Museum, by the way, except the people who work there. Um, Well done. So, um, anyways, (laughs) tangent. Um, So, uh, the coins are still there. 
Okay, now, they had a problem with coins that we still have a problem with with paper money, and that is uh, people making counterfeit coins, right, counterfeit coins. And so the way they would tell if a coin was genuine or not was by its weight, by its weight. And so what people would do, they would melt down lead or some type of other metal, they would put it in molds, and they would make coins. But then what they would do is they would shave the edges of the coin off to take down some of the weight, because then the shavings, you could then make more coins. Are you with me? And so the way you could tell if a coin was genuine would be they could bite it and they could weigh it. A doikamon was a, a person whose job was to weigh coins to make sure they were genuine. Are you with me? Now, this is what he says. He says, trials come into the life of a Christian to help me determine if I am counterfeit or if I'm the real thing. If I'm counterfeit or if I'm the real thing. And so trials have a way of doing that. In fact, we even use the phrase in English, trial by fire, don't we? Uh, They would take gold and put it in a fire and the gold would melt away the impurities, right? It, It would remove the things that were of no value. And, and so uh, James says it this way. James says, consider, consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that, emphasis mine, the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, um, I would love to be complete in Jesus. Like, to, to not have need of anyone's approval. Uh, just my identity is so complete in him. Man, I really desire to be mature in my faith. Like, can just be mature in my relationships, mature in my walk with Jesus. And I really want to have endurance in my life where, like, when I go through hard times, like, I, I last. But here's what I, I'm just talking about me. What I'm not so excited about is trials. And yet, James says... In order to get maturity, in order to get completeness, in order to lack nothing, in order to get endurance, it all begins with trials. And, and I'm, I'm just giving testimony for myself. Oftentimes, the reason I don't reach the maturity and completeness as I want is because I go out of my way to avoid the trials. And yet it's the very trial that helps me become the genuine article. And, and so... Um, Uh, This is a quote from John Maxwell, and John Maxwell uh, says this. It's it's not clicking, Sam. Did it? Okay, there we go. A faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And and it's, it's something to think about, isn't it? Uh, in preparation for 1 Peter, uh, I've just been reading current modern accounts of, of folks in North Korea and Saudi Arabia and Russia and other places who endure, uh, endure um, persecution daily. And I, I read a fascinating article by someone um, in North Korea, and they essentially said this. They said, and I'm paraphrasing, that they felt sorry for Christians in the West. And that really struck me. I thought, why would you feel sorry for Christians in the West? And this guy went on to say, I feel sorry for Christians in the West because you've never encountered suffering, therefore you never know the genuineness of your faith. 
And I thought, oh, wow, like how humbling that was. And, and he flipped persecution on its head and basically said, we are the ones who are blessed, for in the midst of persecution, we have reached maturity and completeness in Christ because the trials we have endured have revealed to us the genuineness of our faith. And he said this, we may be small, but we are mighty because those who are there have been tested and have been shown to be the real thing. I wonder what it might look like in the West if persecution started, how many folks would show up on any given Sunday. I searched my own heart like, Lord, what what would I do, right? And and so uh, God allows trials so that we can see the genuineness of our faith. And if it's not genuine, then we have an opportunity to make that right with him. Uh, Secondly, we see this, that God allows trials in my life, not only that I might know the genuineness of my faith, but secondly, that I might experience the joy of his salvation. God allows trials in my life that I might experience the joy of his salvation. He says this in verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, him meaning Jesus, you love him. Even though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's, that's, that's us, by the way. Uh, we, we have not seen Jesus, but we love him. Uh, we don't see him now, but we believe in him. And hopefully you and I are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You're receiving the end result of your faith. He says that in the midst of persecution, uh, not only do they determine the genuineness of their faith, but they experience the joy of salvation in a unique and a powerful way. And this word joy, joy is something that the world we live in uh, deeply lacks. Uh, Here's a definition of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which results in a feeling of satisfaction and hope, not based on my current circumstances, but on the person and promises of Jesus. Look at that again. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so joy, stop right there, is a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't get it in a can. I can't stick it in my body. I can't find it in a girlfriend. I can't buy it. It doesn't matter what postcode I live in. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, which which means then uh, for an unbeliever, they can never experience joy in this way because it is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, a fruit of the Spirit, which results in a feeling of satisfaction and hope that is not based on my current circumstances, but on the person and promises of Jesus. Uh, see, here's the thing. When, when you're in the Roman Colosseum and, and, and you're about to, to die for Jesus, I would imagine you don't have much satisfaction in that circumstance, right? I don't imagine you're like, wow, this is great, right? Uh, when, when you're being persecuted for your faith, uh, when when you're the uh, when, when you run a, a bakery 
and, and you say, I, I, or we're not going to bake a wedding cake for two men, and you lose your business, which has happened. When you run an Airbnb and you say, we, we're not going to rent rooms to same-sex couples, happened here in the U.K., and you lose your business. When you're a flight attendant for British Airways and you won't take off a, a cross necklace and you lose your job, uh, you may not find satisfaction in that circumstance. But your satisfaction is not in that circumstance. It's in the, the reality of the one yet to come, and that is the person and promise of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? That's where our satisfaction comes, and that's where our hope is. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you know that hymn? We're just talking about hymns. It's hard to say it without humming it in your mind, isn't it? My hope is built on nothing. You know that one? Like, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is not built on the size of my house. My hope is not built on the type of car I drive. Uh, my, My hope is not built on my height, on my weight. It's not built on anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Because here's the thing. What I know is this. When it comes to homes, I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Uh, When it comes to friends, uh, I'm best friends with the king of glory. When it comes to love, I'm an adopted child of God, loved unconditionally by him. When it comes to wealth, my father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. See, my hope and satisfaction is not in what I see and experience now, but it's in the yet to come. And that's, that's how you stand in the Roman Colosseum. That's how you tell British Airways when then you'll have to let me go. That's how you say you can take our business, but I will stand on my conviction because your satisfaction and your hope is not in the here and now. It's in the yet to come, the promises and person of Jesus Christ. And that is the joy that the world cannot understand. Uh, There's a book, uh, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, It's been around for hundreds of years Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can download it for free. Fox's Book of Martyrs starts with the original uh, 11 disciples and goes all the way through the medieval church, and it just gives persecution in real-life accounts. And it's amazing how many times Christians are burnt at the stake or or Christians are are, are killed, and the last thing they do before death is they sing. And, and, and as you read it in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it, 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 it blows the minds of those who, who watch it. Uh, there are even instances of people coming to faith as they watch Christians die, as they sing and worship in the fire. And we see, we see Paul do it, do we not? Uh, he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard, and what do they do? They sing. How in the world do you have a praise and worship service in prison? How do you sing praises to Jesus as you're burned at the stake? You know how? Because you have a joy that's, what's the word he uses here? Inexpressible. I would explain it to you, but I can't. I would explain it, but I can't. Have you ever tried to explain the joy of the Lord to an unbeliever? Yeah. So is it, is it like, like when you're drunk, when you're buzzed? No. Is it like, like when you're really happy? No. I, I, I can't explain it. You have to experience it. Right, Christian? It's inexpressible. Words, words have not been created in any language yet that can express the joy that we have and the person and promises of Jesus. And so Paul says it this way then in Romans 5. Paul says, We rejoice 
and our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We saw that in James, didn't we? Endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What a beautiful passage written by a man rotting in a jail cell. And he says, we rejoice in these sufferings, right? Uh, He'll say this in 2 Corinthians. He he says, when I'm weak, he is strong, and therefore I rejoice in my infirmities. Paul, uh, Paul continues, uses this word rejoice. I rejoice in suffering. Why? Because suffering produces endurance, and that produces character, which produces hope, which does not put us to shame. And again, We want hope, we want character, we want endurance. And so, uh, Lord, teach us then to rejoice in our sufferings. Lord, teach us to rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, Paul says, in all things give what? Thanks. In all things give thanks. You don't have to raise your hand, but do any of you have the gift of moaning? Thank you, those who are really honest. That was amazing, right? (laughs) Right? Right? But we, we live in, in a day where it, it's almost fashionable to moan. It's almost fashionable to complain. Like, it's, it's what you see on TV. It's, it's, it's just what we do. Like, uh, good news is hard to find sometimes, isn't it? And, and, and sometimes if I'm not careful, that can creep into my heart. I, I'm, just, I'm just talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Sometimes that spirit of grumbleness, I call it, just a little grumble. It's not an earthquake, but just a little grumble, right? Um, that kind of grumbly, moany kind of mentality can, can wiggle its way into my heart. And here's the thing. The Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so my grumbling is going to eventually kind of come out in what I say, Right? And I don't speak to myself too often, which means I'm going to say my grumble to someone, right? And by the way, is grumbling contagious? <coughs> it is worse than COVID, and you can't mask it. Like, grumbling is contagious, right? And, and so here's what we have to learn. I have to make a choice. Like, Lord, I don't like this, or Lord, this isn't what I planned. And I have, I have a choice now. I can moan and groan, or I can rejoice in this, and as I rejoice, I will experience endurance. And as I experience endurance, I will build my character. And as I build my character, I will experience hope. And hope will not put me to shame. But I have to make that choice. And, and so, uh, in trials, I can know if my faith is, is genuine. Is it, is it the real thing? In trials, I can experience the joy of salvation. But then lastly, uh, we see this. That God allows trials in my life so that I might grow in my gratitude for Jesus and the gospel. God allows trials in my life so that I might grow in my gratitude for Jesus and the gospel. Uh, Verses 10 through 12, in my humble opinion, are some of the, um, I don't know what word I would use, the most humbling, powerful verses of Scripture in the whole Bible that I find absolutely fascinating and humbling. I, I told you 1 Peter's probably my favorite book of the Bible, and this passage will be one of my favorites. Look what this says. 
uh, and, and in fact, we're going we're gonna to back up. So you might uh, look, at, look at your Bible. We're going to begin in verse 10. We're going to begin in verse 10. And, and like entire books have been written about verses 10 through 12. Now, concerning this salvation, right, everything we're talking about, the prophets, now stop, he, he literally means your Old Testament. So here in your Bible, your Old Testament. So think all of the prophets, right? So you have uh, Isaiah, you have, you know, uh, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Hosea, uh, Ezra, like all of these prophets who wrote the Old Testament, okay? Look what he says. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. My goodness, those two verses are so rich. He is saying, and by the way, those two verses, what they say to us about our Bible is amazing because what he says is, make no doubt that our Bible was written by the Holy Spirit. And these men, and look how he says, he says they did it, uh, they searched intently with the greatest of care. And what are they trying to determine? They're trying to find out the time and circumstances. And here, this is, oh, this is so good. Look what he says. To which the Spirit of Christ in them, he's the one writing, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Jesus dies and, and rose again, right? You and I are on this side of that event. So we're looking back to the cross. These men are on that side of the cross. They're looking forward. Does that make sense? So when you and I talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're looking back in time. The men who wrote our Old Testament, they were looking forward in time. And they were trying to figure out, Lord, when will you send your salvation? Lord, when will you send? When will you put an end to the sin and to the struggle and the death. Lord, when will you do something? And that's what they're looking into. And then we pick up here. Uh, He says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is what he tells the prophets. He says, look, I want you to write all of this down but you're writing for future generations. You're writing for people who are going to live thousands of years from now so that they can have the hope of the gospel. Is that not, is that not beautiful? Like you're talking about men who 4,000 years ago are writing things down and the Holy Spirit is telling them people thousands of years from now are going to get hope from what you're writing. You're not writing for you, you're writing for them. Now, this is how mysterious Seriously, I just think it's beautiful, like what it says about our Bible. And this is how beautiful it is. It says, even angels long to look into these things. Even the angels in heaven are like, and here it is on your table, in my hand, on your phone. 
love to know you and I get to know in the Bible. Now, here's what that results in. That results in me, and I think hopefully in all of us, spirit of gratitude. We have salvation in Jesus Christ and we have his word. The very angels of heaven wish they could look into and understand what you and I have. And for us, it, it should create, I believe, worship. And it should create a sense of thankfulness. Um, uh, William MacDonald, uh, a Plymouth Brethren scholar, says this. Uh, and he's talking about you and I. He says, believers in this age have the immense privilege of understanding clearly what was veiled from the prophets, as well as experiencing what the angels desire to look into, salvation. You and I at Oikos Church have the immense privilege of understanding clearly what was veiled from the prophets, as well as experiencing what the angels desire to look into, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. So uh, the psalmist says it this way. David would say this, Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. In my distress, trials, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. Amen? Let's read that together. Is that all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me. Stop. Let's say that bit again. The Lord is for me. For me. Look at the people at your table and say, the Lord is for you. Do it. All right? All right? Back to the screen. And because of that, I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. Can you believe that? You can look Nero in the face. When you believe that, you can stand up to the hardest of trials that life has to offer. If we genuinely believe that God is for us. Amen? I want to end with this. As we think about trials, we think about tribulations. I want us to come back to that picture of gold. Here's some in my hand. We had a camera I could show you. Can you see that glimmering? Feel free to come and look at it. Pretty beautiful. Pretty amazing, actually. You see all the little bits in it. I've only got three pieces. Right now, I checked this morning, right now on the market, an ounce of gold is 1,526 pounds. An ounce. 
one ounce of gold was 1,526 pounds. I bought this on eBay for two pounds 20 because it's not gold. Pyrite, also known as what? You don't have to be harsh. So why is this? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So why is this two pounds twenty? And gold's one thousand five hundred twenty-six because one is real and one is not. Part of me says, "Praise the Lord, we're not under persecution and suffering." But another part of me says, "Lord, I, I want to make sure that my faith is not fool's gold." Lord, help me know that my love for you and my trust in your word is the real thing, which is priceless beyond measure. So, as as I pray for us and then as we worship the Lord in song, I want to ask, would you ask the Lord to show you the value of your faith? I'm not saying we pray for persecution. I wouldn't be that foolish. But I would say, as David says, Lord, would you search me and know me? And Lord, would you reveal to me those things in my life that maybe I fooled myself? Here's the thing. It can look impressive. Maybe everyone thinks I'm the real deal. I know how to say it. I know how to act it. But actually, in my heart, maybe things aren't as pure as everyone around me thinks. Lord, would you search me and know me? The beautiful thing is, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, if there's been an area in my life where I've been trying to fool people, Lord, I ask you to forgive me and remove that from me. Lord, help me, by your grace and your power, be the real thing, the authentic person that you created me. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Jesus, we do pray and ask, as the psalmist says, that that you would search us and know us. And Lord, if there would be any area in our life where maybe we are fooling ourselves or fooling those around us, Lord, would you, you burn those things up, your refining fire, Lord, would you leave us as pure gold? Lord, would you search us? Would you know us? And Lord, may we be people who know the genuineness of our faith. May we be people, Lord, who are mature, who endure. Lord, may we be men and women who are thankful and grateful for who you are and for what you do for us each and every day. We pray in Jesus.